Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to The Birds. Uh, this is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. Uh, before we get into today's show, I want to say that this is going to be our last recording for a little while uh, in light of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic uh, and its effects on the Major League and Minor League Baseball seasons, which are delayed. Uh, we're going to take a break ourselves for a little while. Uh, hopefully be back before too long. In the meantime, stay safe, take plenty of precautions, and to stay engaged in what's going on with the Orioles minor league system, be sure to follow us on Twitter on at BSL on the Verds. That account will continue to be active, and we'll continue to share content there as we can. BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com will remain active with articles posted. Our discussion boards will remain active as well. So stay engaged with us through there, but um, this is going to be our last recording for a little while. Um, But today we do have the top 15 prospects in our top 30 prospect list. For prospects 16 to 30, we'll want to refer back to last week's show if you have not listened to that already. Uh, Today, though, we're going to get into prospects 15 through 1, really the cream of the crop of an Orioles farm system that I think the three of us all agree is on the rise is coming into the 2020 season, once it does finally get underway. Um, I'm going to start off with Bob here. Uh, What are your general thoughts on the top 15 and how it looks? I think it's very exciting. You know, it's unusual to have guys who could make an impact this season, like Keegan Aiken, Hunter Harvey, in the 11 through 15 range. You have guys that have very high ceilings, like the top three especially could really make an impact on the future next competitive Orioles team really there's a lot of upside a lot of low floors and high ceilings and uh it's pretty exciting yeah I think you see just with our top 15 list you see as many as if we were talking about a full season of baseball here we're talking about as many as I'd say eight guys who could probably uh, get major league playing time this year um obviously that's going to change now with a delayed season and pushing guys timelines back a little bit but you're still looking at uh, a number of guys on this list, 1 through 15, who I think five years from now you're talking about five or six of these guys as regulars in the starting lineup or in the starting rotation, I think. Um, at the back end of this, you still, I think, like Bob said, you've got a lot of low-floor, high-ceiling guys, uh, guys like the uh, like the Keegan Akins, uh, guys like even Kyle Stowers here, who comes at number 15 on our list. Um, a lot of pitchers on this list, too. I think, yeah, there's there's questions about are they back-end starters or are they bullpen pieces, but the fact still remains that I, I don't think anyone disagrees that they, are, uh, they aren't major league quality pitchers. And we got six, seven, eight guys on this list who are major league quality arms. And you know, five years ago, I don't think we were saying that about the Baltimore Orioles farm system. So this, this is definitely exciting to put this top 15 list together because these are the guys that we're going to be seeing this year, we're going to be seeing next year. Um, and we're talking about possibly up to two guys who are like top of the rotation arm candidates, which is really exciting. 
That's not something you've always been able to say about the Orioles farm system really over the last few decades. Uh, for the whole uh, list, which has reports that Nick wrote for us, uh, go to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. The article was just posted today. Um, I'll run down the players from 15 to 1, just kind of in uh, short increments as we go through the show. Coming in at number 15, as Nick mentioned, is Kyle Stowers, an outfielder who was drafted in the competitive balance round last year out of Stanford. Number 14, Drew Rahm, a left-handed pitcher who had a breakout year last year and will look to build on that in 2020. At number 13, shortstop Adam Hall, another younger player who has broken out in a big way over the last year or so and someone we'll be excited to see this year. At number 12, Hunter Harvey, someone who Orioles fans are probably plenty familiar with at this point, both for how long he's been on prospect list and for his brief major league stint last year, hopefully with better health. Uh, we see him have a big 2020. Keegan Aiken comes in at number 11. Um, as Nick mentioned, someone that could be a rotation candidate, or I believe, as Bob mentioned, someone that could be a rotation candidate. And number 10, uh, Zach Lowther, another left-hander. Uh, I'll start with you, Bob. Uh, any names in particular here stick out to you? Yeah, a couple do for me. Um, number 14, Drew Rahm. I know he had an excellent season at Del Marva last year. As a, I want to say he was 19, just like Grayson Rodriguez. I know his stuff doesn't compare to Grayson, but he was pretty much neck and neck with him all season long as far as the numbers go. His FIP and XFIP were right in line with his ERA. He had a great strikeout rate, decent walk rate. I mean, I'm just curious to see if if he can carry that along with him as he goes up the ladder, despite having slightly less stuff than the top of the prospect list guys. Also, Adam Hall sticks out to me. He's got he's a hit tool seems good, hits for a good average, gets on base at an excellent clip. It's almost a hundred points higher than his average. And I think if he can if the defense is gonna play, whether it's second base or shortstop, I think that's gonna be a valuable major leaguer and maybe he adds some power to his frame as time goes on. So those are two guys I'm watching out for in twenty twenty. Yeah, I think to touch on to a, a few other guys, uh, number 15 there, Kyle Stowers, someone who we didn't really get to watch a lot of last season, uh, but he's someone who right after the draft really stood out to me. Uh, big guy, 6'3", big powerful swing, put up a, a lot of home run numbers. Uh, he was an all-star this year when he was with the Aberdeen Ironbirds. Uh, one of three Stanford guys that Mike Elias drafted, which I, I found interesting. Um the other one of the other ones being the catcher Maverick Canley, who's not on our list, but someone who I really like a lot for his defense, and I think is someone to keep an eye on as a possible Adley Rutschman uh, backup way down the road. But I like Stowers. Uh, I like the he's got a big swing. Yeah, there are a lot of strikeouts, but um, I know he mentioned in an interview not too long ago about his big offseason goal is to get stronger, and get even more powerful. And Baseball America already had him ranked in the top 5% in college hitters for average exit velocity when he was at Stanford. So if he gets bigger and stronger, uh, those home run numbers should be pretty exciting. Um, Zach Lowther is one of my guys at the top of my list for prospects that I just love to watch. I He was someone who, like, you look at the numbers at Xavier and throughout his whole college career and early minor league career, strikeouts, strikeouts, more strikeouts. Um, but he was someone who I didn't really pay attention to a whole lot when he was in the lower minors, but once he got to Frederick, I remember going down to a game and just being blown away by his stuff. Um, now, he's not, he, his stuff isn't at equal to that of, you know, D.O. Hall or Grayson Rodriguez, but I really love his fastball. It really kind of 
rides away from right-handed hitters, moves in on lefties. Um, he can pick a spot with it when he wants to, mix speeds with it pretty well. Um, someone who I think personally, I don't know if he's going to stick in the rotation, but I don't think that's you know, a failure on his part. Um, I think he can still be extremely valuable out of the bullpen. You look at his splits versus lefty-righties, um, they're not that much different. There's not a big uh, gap there in between that. So he's someone I like out of the bullpen. Uh, maybe see that velocity come up a little bit. Um, you know, I think the other one, you know, Adam Hall is, is someone who I, I'm higher on, I think, than most. But we'll see how, how that bat plays as he moves up. Big fan of Drew Rahm, just his overall stuff. 19-year-old kid doing what he did, and even in uh, low A, is still pretty impressive. But um, Keegan Aiken, I, I think, is a guy, like we mentioned, that we probably want to highlight here a lot just because he's someone that could have made the Major League roster this year at a camp. Um or at least he's someone who will be in the major leagues likely by the end of the year. You know, he struggled with walks his whole career. That's he's never had a walk rate lower than ten percent, as I pointed out in the article. But again, he's got swing and miss stuff. He led the international league in strikeouts last season. Um, he struggled in spring training, but I, I still think that I know that was the first time a lot of people saw them live uh, that don't follow the minor league system. But I, I would just urge people to take a step back with Keegan Aiken and realize like this isn't a top of the rotation guy. This is a guy who's a four or five starter at best, a bullpen arm at worst. Um, and just take it slow with Keegan Aiken. Let him work the kinks out. Um, he's got good stuff. It's it's not going to blow you away, but he's one of those guys that we've heard his name so often for so long. I think people are expecting big results right at the gate, and he's just not going to give us that, but still a fun name to watch. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, Nick. You know, we, we know that Aiken has good stuff, and we see that at times there have been apparent flaws, um, mainly the walk rate, as you mentioned. When the season does start, do you think that Aiken's ticketed for Norfolk for a little while before we have a chance of seeing him in the majors? Yeah, I think he's I think he's going to be in Norfolk for a couple weeks at least once the season starts. Um, I don't see them rushing to bring him up, really. Um, especially if, if they keep, let's we'll see how the roster shakes out. But when you get guys like Cole Stewart likely ticketed to go to AAA, um, he'd obviously get a call call up first. Um, <clears throat> you still have guys like Tom Eshelman, maybe a guy like Luis Ortiz. Uh, not the good young Luis Ortiz, but the not so good <laughs> older prospect Luis Ortiz, who I have completely written off, but he's probably going to get another opportunity first. I think they like Keegan Aiken, especially if it's a shortened season, kind of sit and bake a little longer down in Norfolk. Yeah, let him get some consistency with his off-speed pitches. I think that's really what he needs to work on. Yeah, and I think, too, that with the everybody's timetable being thrown off right now, um, I don't know how this is going to affect players across the board, hitters or pitchers, if one's going to feel it a little bit more than the other. But I do think we need to keep that in mind going forward that everyone's schedules are going to be thrown off now. And, you know, it's a very real possibility that Keegan Aiken doesn't pitch in a game until June. So, but it'll be interesting to see once we do get started um, how he looks down at Norfolk and how quickly he could get to Baltimore. Uh, Moving up the list now, I'm going to run down names 9 through 5. Right-hander Michael Ballman comes in at number 9. Uh, number eight, Dean Kramer, who coming off a very good 2019 season, looking like he could be um, a big part of that return from the trade uh, in July 2018 that sent Manny Machado to the Dodgers. And number seven, Gunnar Henderson, um, second round pick out of last year's draft, 
only 18 years old, probably going to be in the low minors to start this season, but someone you absolutely will want to keep an eye on regardless of where he is assigned. Uh, a shortstop who gets pretty positive reports. And at number six, um, Austin Hayes, coming off of an impressive late-season run in Baltimore last year, figures to be the center fielder on opening day. If he is healthy, that's someone that could emerge as a contributor at the major league level for a little while. I'll start with you, Bob. Um, what were your general impressions on Hayes at the end of last season, and what do you expect from him if he can maintain health this year? Obviously, can't be anything but impressed by what he showed in the last month of the season, which was kind of surprising considering the season that he had in 2019 throughout the minor leagues. He was injured off and on throughout. He, pl- I think he played at almost every single uh, AAA, or, I mean affiliate, AAA, AA, single A, short A, and the numbers were never that impressive throughout the whole season, but then he comes up, he gets his shot, and he took advantage of it. Obviously, the raw squeals are there. We saw that a year, two years before that. Um, at least he gives himself a leg up. He gives himself a chance to start the year in the major leagues and build upon what he has shown in September and see if he can stay healthy. And if he can play center field at a de- decent rate, I mean, that's a valuable player to have. Worst case, he moves to left or right, and he gives you good defense out there. A guy that can hit for power. He's got speed. He this is this is his year to show what he's what he's capable of. Yeah, uh, Hayes is. I wasn't totally on board with the whole center field experiment to initially begin with, but I'm definitely warming up on the idea. And maybe now it's just as I was putting this list together, uh, kind of writing the reports out a little bit. I was like really high on Austin Hayes. Maybe it's just the lack of baseball. I'm just I just want to, I don't care. I'll watch Austin Hayes play shortstop at this point. I don't care. But now he's someone who you saw his walk rate was almost 10% in that September call up. That's something that he really hadn't shown in the past. Um, if he can keep those walks up, keep the strikeouts low, um, you know, he's aggressive at the plate. And so if he can just sit back on pitches a little more, I know he really struggled against you know the off-speed stuff and everything, but if he can sit back on pitches, be a little more patient, show that increased walk rate, Hayes is a guy who is, could very well be the long-term answer at center field for the Orioles. And you know, when you pair him up with a guy like Yusniel Diaz in right field, that's that's pretty dominant outfield, I think, when you're talking about down the road. Um, yeah, Hayes, I mentioned. I think I mentioned this before that you know Hayes is a guy who we've seen his name so often for so long, and he's he's supposed to have been that guy in the Orioles lineup for the last two three years now. Um, I think people are starting to kind of like sour on him a little bit, but uh, it's not because he hasn't been a regular in the lineup because his tools have diminished. It, they're all still there. It's just the injuries. So a healthy Austin Hayes is is a very dangerous Austin Hayes. Yeah, I agree. I I do think that sometimes and. We've mentioned this before in relation to Hunter Harvey as well, where prospect fatigue can set in a little bit if a player battles injuries or whatever, and their timeline for reaching the majors and graduating gets pushed back because of that. What I saw from Hayes in September, I was impressed with. And I think that if nothing else, Hayes for 2020 will be someone that can help stabilize center field for the Orioles. Uh, long term is that the answer that remains to be seen but I think at the very least this year if he's healthy and can be in the lineup every day that will help stabilize the position a little bit Um, I'm going to move to number seven on the list here Gunnar Henderson who 
I'll admit, at least for me, and I know Nick alluded to this in the report, a little bit of a mystery to us because we have not actually seen him play in person. But the reports, as you said, Nick, have been glowing. What are your thoughts on uh, Henderson coming into this season? Yeah, I mean, everything you read about him says is, is plus hit tool. A guy who has the arm and the ability to play at shortstop and stick there. But everything kind of revolves around, you know, will he fill out his frame a little more? He's listed at 6'3", 195 pounds now, and he's 18 years old. So obviously he's going to get bigger and stronger. So does that slow him down a little bit? Do the Orioles have to move him to third base? Um, I, I want to say I saw somewhere that that was the plan to work him more at third base this year. I don't know, obviously, if that's still the plan at this point anymore but um, or where he's going to start the season. But he's someone who I think is at the top of the list of exciting prospects to watch that we haven't seen yet. Um, we talked about a few of those guys last week, guys like Daryl Hernandez and Zach Watson. But Gunnar Henderson is someone who... In my opinion, it doesn't matter if he's at second base or, sh- or sorry, shortstop or third base. Um, if the hit tool develops like all the scouting reports believe it will, then you know, the Orioles don't have third base prospects. They don't have many shortstop prospects who we project as major league shortstops. So if he can develop, I think Gunnar Henderson is a guy who takes a big step forward this year once we can finally watch him a little bit. Now, yeah. do you think that? Um... If he doesn't stick it short, the third base is a possibility. At least reports that have been out there have suggested that he could stay on the left side of the infield regardless. Yeah, I mean, if he does, then I think that's great. And I think it's because, from again, from what we read, it's going to be because the arm is still good enough. It's not like a Ryan Mountcastle where that arm's not playing at shortstop, so let's move him to third base and make him throw it further and hope that works out. It's not like that situation. I think this is a little different that... Henderson is a much better athlete, and uh, I don't know if the bat's better than Ryan Mountcastle at this point, but the bat should develop well, and so the arm is there, the strength is there. It's just, can he develop? Um, wherever he plays, second base, third base, shortstop, it doesn't matter if, if that bat plays. Now, one yeah. name that I want to get to um, who's a little bit further down on the list, Michael Ballman coming in at number nine. Um Ballman, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Nick. It feels like we've seen a lot of prospects that have been similar to Ballman come up through the system over the years. Good fastball, questions about the secondary offerings, questions about whether or not he can develop as a starter or a reliever, and ultimately, with most cases, the Orioles can't get that pitcher over the hump to be a starter. You know, They end up a reliever, or they end up someone like Mike Wright, who bounces back and forth uh, between the majors and AAA a lot. From what you've seen of Bauman, do you think that his uh, he can end up being a little bit different? Yeah, certainly. He's someone who that the fastball velocity jumped up a little bit last year. Um, I know I kind of mentioned last week is Cody Sedlock being like that poster boy for the Michael Elias analytics uh, movement happening in Baltimore. But Bauman also might have, I'd say his stock rose higher than any other prospect in the Orioles system last year just because... Before 2019, he was a guy who might have been, you know, this fringe relief prospect. Maybe the fastball plays, maybe it doesn't. And now we're looking at Michael Bauman as someone who could slot in you know, if we we're playing a full season of Major League Baseball, probably by the end of this season uh, as, as a pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. Now, obviously, we're pushing timelines back and such. But, you know, Bauman's definitely someone who you saw his numbers take a big jump up when he got promoted from Frederick to Bowie. He had that seven inning no hitter. 
at one point in the season. He's someone who's got a four-pitch Major League mix at, at this point, and I think he's definitely someone who can stick in that Major League rotation, the back end of the rotation, but I still think he's someone now we're talking about. This is a potential uh, pretty a success story for, for the Baltimore Orioles there. Yeah, I'm very curious to see if Bauman can – if he can continue the success he had last year up in AAA – I think he's a guy, him and Henderson are two guys that could be in top 100 list uh, this time next year. I think if the velocity is for real and he continues to work on his secondaries, he's definitely got a legit chance to be like a mid-rotation starter. But if all else fails and he's throwing 100 mile per hour gas out there, he could be a back end of the bullpen type of guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really like what I've seen out of him. Moving up on the list now, one spot to number eight, Dean Kramer. Um, injury uh, prevented, delayed the start to his season last year, but he was really strong uh, pretty much all season long, went to the Arizona Fall League, and while he didn't seem like a ro- candidate to make the rotation out of camp, um, you also got the sense that Kramer could be a guy that goes to Norfolk for not too long of a stretch before he reaches the majors. Um, at least early on when camp started. Now those are, you know, all in question. But, Bob, from what you've seen of Kramer, what are your thoughts on him? It seems like Brandon Hyde was very impressed with what he's seen from Kramer in the spring training, at least the little bit that they had before they shut things down. Uh, I'm kind of curious if he's going to leapfrog Aiken as far as first AAA pitcher starter to get a chance uh, in the major leagues when the time comes. But he's always had the ability to strike people out even if he doesn't have the best stuff out of all the prospects, pitching prospects in the Orioles and previously Dodgers. But clearly something he's doing is working. Um, Must have a sneaky fastball, but he's, I think he's right in the mix for sure. Yeah, I think his ceiling is definitely, when you're talking about that mix of starting pitchers, we have clumped together. And I think most Orioles prospect lists have them clumped together at some point is Kremer and Bauman and Lauther, Aiken and, Uh, Maybe even throwing like a Bruce Zimmerman in there, someone who could see Major League time pretty soon. Alexander Wells. Alex Wells, yeah. I mean, that whole group, I think Kramer has has the the highest ceiling among all those. Um, I know he struggled when he got promoted to AAA Norfolk last year, but I just look at his, his strikeout numbers. He still struck out 21 guys and walked only four. And that was in 18, 19 innings uh, when he was with the Tides last season. So I'm I wasn't I'm not too worried about you know the ERA numbers or any of some of his other numbers he posted in Norfolk or his struggles in spring training. I think I think you're right in that this is someone who might get the first shot. Um, at least if not the first shot, he's could be the one that sticks the longest in the rotation. Yeah, I I kind of agree with what you said, Nick. I the struggles in Norfolk last year were over a pretty small sample size. So they didn't innings, alarm yeah. me too much. The one thing, too, that I put in there as a caveat was the change in baseballs last year at the AAA level seemed to make the International League much more hitter-friendly than what we have seen in the past. Um, but I, certainly with the return to Norfolk this year, I could see Kramer making some adjustments and being a candidate to get into the Major League rotation at some point in 2020. Uh, now we're going to run down the top of the list, prospects 5 through 1. At number five, Yasniel Diaz, an outfielder. Uh, injuries cut into a season last year, but he showed promise when healthy. With better health this year, maybe we see him uh, in the major leagues at some point. 
At number four, Ryan Malcastle, uh, someone who, as we discussed on our first show, we're all three pretty high on the bat. And while I expect that when the season starts, he will be at Norfolk for a little while, that probably won't be for very long. Uh, Number three, D.L. Hall, left-handed pitcher, uh, coming off a season at high A. Frederick, figures to be in Bowie when the season does start, and a consensus top 100 prospect coming into the minor league season. Number two, another consensus top 100 prospect, Grayson Rodriguez, who had a big first full professional season last year at Del Marva. He'll look to build on that at Frederick. And number one, Adley Rutzman, the first overall pick in last year's draft. Uh, consensus, probably top five, top ten prospect in all of baseball. Generally regarded as the best catching prospect in all of baseball. Uh, not someone that we expect will factor into the Orioles' plans immediately, but he should not be in the minor leagues for too long. Maybe a late 2021 debut is feasible with him. Um, so, Bob, I'll start with you. What are your general thoughts on the top five? It's exciting. It's very exciting. I think all five of these guys could be key cogs in the next winning Orioles team, starting right fielder, starting first baseman slash left fielder slash DH, uh, obviously a stud catcher and two top of the rotation guys, if all goes well, of course. But, I mean, this is the potential next core of of the team and it's exciting i think there's a lot of it seems like they're going to at least make it to the majors and play a role but the ceiling is they're all somewhat stars so that's good yeah i don't think it's not like oh orioles farm system has been bad for so long and usenio diaz can hit 10 home runs a season and oh he's he's going to be a pretty decent outfielder a league average outfielder and Orioles fans are overreacting to this no I think all five of these guys are legitimate major leaguers um, their ceilings are, are all-star caliber players in the major leagues again they're still you're talking about Grayson Rodriguez who's you know 19 20 years old DL Hall still very young they're all very young. Diaz is a bit older, but these are all younger guys who still have plenty of time to mature and settle into this roster. But yeah, all five of them at, at their at their peak value are all-star caliber major leaguers, which is something to get really excited about in Birdland. As I mentioned, Diaz dealt with injury issues last year, and it seemed like, you know, I don't know if people had this temptation that Manny Machado or this thought that the Manny Machado deal was going to pr- some immediate return or what, but the sense was kind of that people might have soured a little bit on Diaz last year, maybe because of the injuries. Um, Nick, do you think that last year really did a lot to hurt his prospect stock, or do you think that we kind of had to take the numbers for what they were given his circumstances and expect more from him if he's healthy this year? No, I think I just don't think he was healthy at all last year, at least for much of the year. Um, he's still got a cannon for an arm in right field. He had a few plays last year, nailing guys, guys thinking they had doubles, and him nailing them down at second base. Um, this is someone who, you look at his numbers when he was healthy. I, I got his July numbers here in Bowie, 28 games. He had three home runs, 12 doubles. Um, and hit 299 with a 353 on base percentage. Like that's the kind of Uziel Diaz numbers that I think we can expect over a long-term season. Um, I don't. He's still an exciting prospect to get to watch. He, the tools are still there. I think at his peak, he's a guy who's like a 280 hitter. If he can get on base around a 330, 340 clip, and he's a 20-plus home run a season guy. And I think at his peak, he can make a one or two All-Star games in his career. Um, 
yeah, it's just he's got to stay healthy. It's been injury after injury after injury for the last three, four years with him, though. Completely agree with you, Nick. And to me, he's a guy that can turn those doubles into home runs if, you know, the team works with him on developing his swing. Adds, he seems plenty strong already, but if he adds strength in the right ways and turns the raw power into in-game power, yeah, he's he's a, you know, sturdy guy that you're going to have count on reliable middle of the order guy for the next five to seven years. So we'll move up now to number four on the list, Ryan Malcastle. Um, if you listen to our first show recorded um, two weeks ago, you know that we're all three high on Malcastle's bat. The defense has been a question for a few years, but the Orioles seem like right now they might be settling that maybe with some combination of first base, the outfield, or sticking him at one of those spots eventually. Uh, Nick, where do you see Malcastle's glove playing long term? Uh, you, I think about this a lot when you, and just there's so many what ifs, and then Chris Davis comes in and just has a monster spring training, and you're like, oh, I don't even know anymore at this point. But I think long term, Mountcastle is first base DH option, and I think I don't think this Chris Davis thing is obviously going to stick. I don't think anyone's thinking Chris Davis is going to turn things around. Um, I don't think anyone's expecting Renato Nunez to stick around as the full-time DH, you know, three, four years from now. So I think he sticks at first base left field, or sorry, first base DH, but I'm high on that glove in left field and first base than most people, I think. I think just when people say the word, the, the name Ryan Malcastle, it's defense, 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 but he can't play defense, but he doesn't walk. And the glove is a lot better than I think what, what most people believe it is out in the outfield and first base. So Long time he's a first baseman with just an ex- a beautiful swing from the right side, explosive hands to the zone. I mean, the guy's bat plays at every single level, and it's going to continue to play at the major league level. Yeah, he might not walk, but he definitely does hit. So you're going to find a way to get him in the lineup one way or the other. Obviously, still needs some work out in the outfield, um, learning the routes. And I think he's got the enough athleticism to at least become slightly below average out there. Um, the wind is crazy in Florida around this time of year anyway. It's tough to get a read when he's just learning, but I think at first base, once Chris Davis, who might be like the person most affected by this coronavirus stuff since he was looking so good and now it's getting pushed back, uh, once that situation is settled, I think Ryan Mackhouse is just going to sit there as the everyday first baseman until proven otherwise, maybe when a Spencer Torkelson comes in, but... He's he's going to hit. He's going to be a top-of-the-order guy, for sure. Yeah, and if you um, get a chance, check out our Twitter, at BSL on the Verge. If you go back to uh, late February, you can see Mountcastle's swings and acts, including a uh, pretty good day that he had against the Pirates, where he went 3-for-3 three three with two doubles and a home run. So if you want to get a close look at how Mountcastle was looking at the plate before spring training shut down, you can see it right there. Um at number three, D.L. Hall. Um, this is someone that will be watched closely coming into 2020. Likely a double-A buoy. No question that a left-hander with this much velocity presents a lot of promise. One question that is there with him, though, is the walk rate, which he can never quite get under control at Frederick last year. In Delmarva the year before, his control started out a little shaky and then got better as the year went on. Last year, it seemed like he never quite corrected it but was still successful. Uh, despite that, Nick, do you think that uh, Hall's command is something that 
we'll see improve over time? I think so. It's just him getting more innings, staying, getting comfortable on the mound. Um, I know last year, as was the case with Hall, with a couple of the other prospects, guys like Aiken and Hanafi, was the team forced him to kind of use those secondary pitches uh, when he wasn't used to it. And so he's been able to rely on that blazing fastball for so long. And now that we need you to work on your secondary pitches, he's not used to it. And so the walk rate, which has already been an issue, ticked up a little bit. But I, I don't see it hindering him next year. Uh, I think once he gets maybe up to AAA, and if that walk rate is still around 15%, we've got an issue. But, yeah, I, I think that's something that can be corrected with time, more comfort on the mound. You just watch that guy pitch and his, his attitude on the mound. I love it. I love a guy who's confident out there, and he's not afraid to show you. Um, I think he gets this fixed. And that stuff is just too electric just to, to, to waste. I think I saw an article maybe in the Baltimore Sun where he was talking about how, you know, they basically said, forget the results. You're going to throw your breaking balls in these tough positions because we need you to work on that. And that's the only the best way to, to really learn to improve that aspect. So I think once he, he's let loose and able to do whatever he wants, the walks will come down a little bit. Maybe they'll never be, you know, under nine, eight percent, anything like that, but good enough to let his awesome stuff just do the work it's going to be fun between dl hall and grayson rodriguez to see which one has the better stuff as they're rising through the ranks looks like Hall's going to get to the majors first maybe a, a year half a year beforehand so he'll be able to get a head start on that competition but the guy is electric yeah I'll say, one more point I, about hall is i know feel like every episode I make a Keith Law reference, but I will give Keith Law the benefit of the doubt and say, I believe, I didn't go through his list, but I believe from what other people are saying that he had Hall higher than Rodriguez on his list. Um, and that's something that I've seen a few other people, uh, reputable names out there say that they like Hall's ceiling just a little bit more than Rodriguez, which I think is interesting, but something, something to watch. Yeah, I think that with Hall, you're looking at someone, we're talking about a development over a period of years. Um, some of the pitching prospects we've discussed on this list, like Keegan Aker, Aiken, Dean Kramer, a little bit more of an immediate payoff there, at least as far as them reaching the majors. But Hall, um, I, I think we're looking at a few years here. What do you think, Bob? 2022, 2023, somewhere in that range? Yeah, if he plays this season, starts at double A. And then maybe he next season he play, pitches a whole season at AAA. Yeah, I think maybe May 2022 makes sense to me. Any thoughts there, Nick? Yeah, I think they're. I mean, it's, they're going to take it slow. I mean, just like it, he's going to get a full season at Bowie, he's going to get largely a full season at AAA. And especially now, if we're talking about uh, pushing this season back or not having a season at all, then, I mean, we're still pushing the Orioles' window back, and there's no reason to bring up a Hall or Rodriguez until they're fully ready. With that, we'll go to Rodriguez, who comes in number two of this list. Uh, first round pick in 2018, um, the last draft the Orioles had under Dan Duquette, really broke out in a big way last year, uh, put together a Strong numbers really across the board. The Orioles kept him at Delmarva all year, did not rush him up to Frederick, um, even though I think it was a performance the temptation must have been there at a few points for them to make that move. Uh, once the season does start, Rodriguez will likely head to Frederick. Uh, Nick, what do you expect to see from Rodriguez this year, and what, are, what were your thoughts on what he did last year? 
I think we're going to see a, a lot of what we saw last year. He had, he had 2.68 ERA, a 34% strikeout rate. Uh, he only allowed four home runs in almost 100 innings last year with the Shorebirds. Um, this is a guy who is truly one of the elite pitching prospects in all of minor league baseball. Um, and he's someone who, you know, they kind of, they didn't really let him work deep into games, which I'm fine with. I don't think, I mentioned this in an article, I don't think they'll let him work deep into games next year either. Uh, keep that arm fresh. He's only 20 years old, I believe. I don't know his birthday off the top of my head. I remember looking at it when I was putting the report together, but I believe he'll pitch all season as a 20-year-old. So I think I mean, that's right. Yeah, so I mean, that's there's no reason to rush him at all. It, he's big guy, powerful guy, big body, powerful fastball from the right side. I mean, there's a lot to be excited about with Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, I mean, the new Orioles development Twitter, I think they were tweeting out that he was pumping 98 miles per hour already in spring training, which... That's pretty pretty exciting if he can maintain that on the, on the regular. But the most exciting thing about having the depth behind guys like Hall and Rodriguez is if they hit at the top, you're talking about guys that they're going to be competing for those last couple of rotation slots, but then the ones that don't make it there, you're going to have a great bullpen behind it. So it's it's all coming together, It's but it, it is heavily reliant on Rodriguez and Hall reaching their, their capabilities. So Nick made a good point there that I just looked this up. Rodriguez's birthday was November 16th, 1999. So regardless of when this 2020 season gets started, he will pitch all year as a 20-year-old. Um, we'll move up now to number one, Adley Rutzman, the first overall pick in last year's draft. Um, he played at a couple different levels in the minor leagues last year after uh, signing with the Orioles. Looked good across the board. Uh, comes into 2021 as one of the top prospects in all of the game. Uh, Bob, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Rutzman, what we've seen both in the minors last year and then in spring training for a little bit this year, um, and how quickly you think he'll develop? I think he'll, he'll develop relatively quickly. I think defensively he's major league ready right now. It's all about just slowly developing the bat as much as possible. It seems like Elias likes to take it slow on the slow end. I know fans out there freak out whenever Rushman doesn't perform right away. But to me, he's a guy that he just needs some time to get a feel for the league, feel for the pitchers. Let's not forget that he had mono, which slowed his role uh, after the draft last year. And I, I know from experience that that can really, the impact of that can last longer than, than you might imagine. And once he got his feet wet at short A Aberdeen, he just raked the two or three weeks before he got called up to Delmarva. He was just torching the ball he had a five for five game at one point and then he slowed down back down at Delmarva but I'm not really that worried about him it's, even with the spring training he had one hit in like 13 at bat something like that he's got a great approach at the plate natural power that can be a 30 home run hitter behind the dish and like I said worst case he's already probably one of the best defensive catchers in the major leagues right now so what's your worst case he's a power hitting catcher league average maybe but that's the floor so yeah i i love his defense I, i'm not even i'm not worried about the bat at all i don't think there are any questions about the bat um and he's already you already watched him he threw out seven of 11 base dealers down in the my across three levels of the minor leagues this year including the one play which stands out to me the most was and i i know he was 
it looked kind of like a sort of a pitch out, so he had a little bit of a head start there. But when he gunned down a, a Greg Jones, Tampa Bay Rays prospect, guy from UNC Wilmington who I watched all throughout his college years, and I, is a, a non-Orioles prospect who I love more than probably any other prospect in minor league baseball. Uh, but when he gunned someone like Greg Jones and his elite speed, like he's going to do that with other prospects down in the minor league system this year. Um, I love the arm behind the plate. Um, yeah, I'm not worried about the bat at all. If he could go one for 50 this spring training, it wouldn't have mattered one bit. You hear all the reports about what the other catchers talk about him, what the other pitchers are talking about him, that uh, he's catching. They all love him. Uh, this is a guy who's going to be the face of the franchise, and I think he's someone who can live up to it. I, I absolutely agree. I think that he's someone who, you know, as long as the health is there, which, you know, you got to put that caveat in there with any prospect, someone who not only is going to develop quickly but be the face of the franchise once he gets there, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this, and I'll start with you, Bob. With where Rutzman has generally come in on prospect list coming into this season, he's usually been in the top 10 uh, on top 100 lists. So I'm looking right now, Baseball Prospectus had him at number four. MLB had him at number four. Baseball America had him at number five. Um, you think there's a chance next year this time we're talking about him if not the top prospect in all of baseball, then certainly within the top two or three? I think there's a very good chance. If not, I think that's might be the favorite because Wanda Franco seems like he's going to get a shot at some point this year to lose his prospect eligibility. Same with Adele. And I forget the last person that's usually ahead of him. But I do think if he performs the way we expect him to and the guys in front of him move up, then, yeah, I do think he will be number one next year. Yeah, you could – I wouldn't put it past uh, – yeah, I'm looking at MLB pipelines right now. you got Wander Franco, one, Gavin Lux at two. He's going to lose that prospect status. Luis Robert, Robert uh, White Sox outfielder, he's in the big leagues. Mackenzie Gore at five, right behind Rutschman and Joe Adele. Mackenzie Gore could probably make the Padres roster by the end of the year. So Rutschman could end up being number one prospect, and I think with the Orioles – have that number two pick next year, whether it's Spencer Torkelson, um, whatever happens with this MLB draft, but whether it's Spencer Torkelson or if, if it is a Emerson Hancock or even a guy who I think could have climbed up a little higher if he would have had a full season, Asa Lacey, the guy at lefty out of Texas A&M, whoever the Orioles draft, I think could potentially be a top 10, 15 prospect maybe. Mix that in with D.L. Hall's potential rise if he can come in the baseball Grayson Rodriguez's rise. I mean, the Orioles could have numerous, numerous top 20, top 25 prospects next year. Yeah, I could easily see that. You know, like you said, if Rodriguez and Hall build off of what they've done in the past, you get a, a good year out of Rutschman. Uh, whoever your number two pick is, you, you figure is going to be pretty high on these lists next year. And, you know, even some of the guys that we mentioned earlier in the show as potential risers, uh, in 2020, depending on how their seasons play out and how much time they actually get, someone like a Michael Ballman or a Gunnar Henderson might uh, really work their way up and not to the top 100 and kind of on that periphery of it. Uh, since we really did not touch on him earlier, I do want to go back and talk about Hunter Harvey for a minute. Um, as I said when in the introduction, he's been on prospect lists for years. His health has stalled what otherwise probably would be a major league career that's a few years uh, underway right now. And instead, we're just now looking, we're just now getting to the point where Harvey will likely lose his prospect eligibility if he has a healthy 2020. 
Uh, Nick, based on what you saw from him late in the season last year, do you think he's found a home in the bullpen permanently? And what do you think we can expect if he's able to have a little bit better health going forward? Yeah, I love Hunter Harvey out of the bullpen. I know you still see, I still see a few people saying, like, well, Hunter Harvey, as a reliever, if the Orioles aren't going to try him as a starter anymore, like, that's, you know, he's a, this failed starting pitching prospect that's moving to the bullpen. I don't look at it like that at all. I think Hunter Harvey is, he showed, he in only six innings last season, but he was explosive out of the bullpen. Uh, something that he really struggled with last year when he started out the year in Bowie and he was starting after the second or third inning. Those first two or three innings were phenomenal in a lot of his starts, but then guys really started getting around on him, uh, getting on top of that fastball especially. And so once they moved him to the bullpen, uh, that fastball really played up, pumping 98 miles an hour, hitting 100 a few times. Um, I think this is someone who he has the mentality, the attitude on the mound, that composure on the mound to take over the closing duties, uh, especially if Michael Givens is traded at some point this year. Uh, he moves on. I think Hunter Harvey can easily slide into that closer's role. Yeah, think about that for a second. The number 12 guy on our list is a guy that is most likely going to be the closer by the end of the season, and he's throwing high 90s, was dominant in the short chance he had last year. That's something you can't say most years for the Orioles. So, very exciting. Yeah, I would really be excited about an Orioles bullpen at some point in 2020 if we had not only a healthy Hunter Harvey to Watts, but then also a little bit more consistent Tanner Scott, someone who I've been saying for years that I think if he can get his command in line, really could become a dominant reliever at the major league level. So those two guys in particular for me stand out as kind of wild cards in the upcoming season. You know, what they do is not going to be enough to change the fortunes of the Orioles. Um, Yeah, this is still a last place team. But having two young up-and-coming relievers in the late innings would certainly, I think, make fans feel a little bit better about the team's immediate future while we wait for the Rutzmans, the Rodriguez's, you know, Hall, Mountcastle, some of these guys to get into the majors and really get established. Um, just to recap, I'm going to run down the list again. At number 15, outfielder Kyle Stowers. Number 14, left-handed pitcher Drew Rahm. Number 13, shortstop Adam Hall. Number 12, reliever Hunter Harvey. Number 11, left-hander Keegan Aiken. Number 10, left-hander Zach Lowther. Number 9, right-hander Michael Ballman. Number 8, right-hander Dean Kramer. Number 7, shortstop Gunnar Henderson. Number 6, outfielder Austin Hayes. Number 5, outfielder Yasniel Diaz. Number 4, outfielder slash first baseman Ryan Mountcastle. Number 3, left-hander D.L. Hall. Number two, right-hander Grayson Rodriguez. Number one, Adley Rutzman. Uh, the full list is now on BaltimoreSportsInLife.com. That is part two of our top 30 list. Uh, if you did not read top 30, there is a, the 30 through 16 prospects that we counted down last week. There is a link uh, to that section of the report. Nick Stevens did an excellent job writing these reports, which uh, came together after we each made our own individual top 30 lists and then put together the final collaborative list from there, basically as an aggregate. As I mentioned at the beginning of this show, this is going to be our last uh, recording of On the Verge for a little while. We hope to be back before too long, but as the ongoing coronavirus pandemic plays out, uh, there's a lot of unknowns, both as it relates to baseball and society at large. 
So we'll be monitoring that as we try to decide when to come back on the air. In the meantime, though, our Twitter feed, at BSL on the Verge, will remain active, and you can go there for coverage. You can also visit BaltimoreSportsInLife.com for uh, continued coverage of everything Baltimore sports. And hit our message board where there will continue to be uh, constant discussion about the Orioles, Ravens, Terps, and more. Um, before we sign off, I'll start with you, Bob. Anything you want to add before we uh, go on hiatus? Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate that we're not going to have baseball when we thought we would. I mean, no one's as bummed as, as we are. But the most important thing is everyone just stay healthy. Try to flatten the curve on this coronavirus so we can all get through it as quick as possible and get back to action. So everyone out there, just stay safe and and listen to what the officials tell you. Yeah, stay safe. Stay inside if you have to. Uh, follow the Twitter account. Uh We'll pump out as much uh, content as we can up there. Lots of videos uh, to keep you guys uh, excited. We'll look back at the good times of 2019. <laughs> a lot of good prospect videos. It's a good deal haul video up there right now. Check that one out. Share it. Um, tell people about the podcast. Go back, listen yep. to our previous episodes. Uh, help spread the word because once baseball is back, we're going to be back too and uh, watching these guys develop. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you, Bob and Nick. And thank you to our listeners for uh, joining us for this show. Uh, I'm Zach Spedden for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. Thank you very much for listening to On the Verge.